0: Hey, welcome to You Talking with Greg. Uh, I'm here with Brandon Norgard. He's the co-founder of the Enlightenment Worldview Project. Uh, I've been hanging with him in a number of different times in the spaces across a wide variety of different domains. Really excited to get to talk to him today. Uh, we'll be exploring that and the approaches to metacrisis. But first, hey, Brandon, welcome.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me, Greg.
0: It's really great that you join us. Um, so why don't we just, uh, help the audience, uh, with a little bit of background, share a little bit of the narrative about how, uh, you got involved in the space in general, and then we can lead into the whole Enlightenment worldview project. And what's that about?
1: All right. Yeah. So I'm, uh, from Folsom, California, which is near Sacramento. Yep. And, uh, it's an interesting place that there's a convergence of like attempts to use government to improve people's lives here in California, but it doesn't work. And then, Uh you know, we're not that far from Silicon Valley where they have, you know, really, uh, you know, really high uh, technology development. And that doesn't seem to be getting the job done. So Mm. growing up in this environment, I'm thinking, you know, there's a lot of things I'm I'm, I'm thinking about how, you know, maybe technology or government reforms could could uh, be. Leveraged, you know, and mm. I started this. Um, I was interested, you know, we we uh, some of my friends we we started this meetup group where okay. we're talking about all kinds of issues, political, economic, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. if, and philosophical, how how philosophy can be leveraged mm. to try to sort out some of these great challenges we're dealing yeah. with, right? And um, yeah, so with, with that, we we started getting into just a, a lot of things and. The, uh, a lot of topics, a lot of, top, a lot of things mm-hmm. going on in recent years, you know. <laughs> it's been going on sure. for a long time. No shortage you know. of things
0: to, to discuss. Anything in that philosophical group that really caught your eye or that you recall was a major theme or, or things that are, are worth sharing in that regard?
1: Yeah, you know, and some of the regulars who, they've introduced me to Game B or mm. the sense-making scene, mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. know, and that's uh, it's really started getting more... A bigger thing a few years ago when the world, you know, here the U.S. Uh, politics really started having some serious problems. So I'm, I'm looking into, we're talking about game beat, we're talking about sense making, and one of the things that really uh, c- uh, came up is that, you know, we had some people who were just interested in talking about these topics. We're uh-huh, talking uh-huh. about philosophy and politics, but a lot of this stuff is, is so jargon-laden. Mm. We, were, we wanted to watch videos with you know, Daniel Schmackenberger and mm-hmm. Jordan Hall, and I came to realize, okay, so this is, this is really brilliant stuff, but a lot of these people who join these, these discussion groups, it doesn't make sense to them. It's a, mm. uh, I could see that these guys were offering uh, pieces of the puzzle to yep. address the larger challenges that we're facing, mm. um, but uh, you know, I can see that this is reasonable criticism. Mm-hmm. But this is it, it, it. These these guys, you know, a little bit of motor mouthing. It's a little difficult to understand them.
0: Yep. And I don't know what is, that's like at all. <laughs> <laughs> don't. Yeah, go so, ahead. So I'm
1: trying to explain it In uh, I'm trying to listen carefully enough to see, OK, here's how I would explain this to people who don't have a background in these areas so people who are all you know they're 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 quite they're pretty well educated but they're Mm -hmm. not familiar with all of the the jargon and the background you know they haven't read all those books and then then I, i realized okay we can we can actually do this this is something this is uh this content if we could find a way to convey it to people you know to to help they can leverage it they can improve their lives you know, and their communities, uh-huh, uh-huh. if we can convey it to them in a way that can connect, because there's a sophistication spectrum. Mm. You know, there's the people who who develop these these advanced ideas, this next generation thinking, and you know they talk to each other often. You know, you, you can't really do that that development unless you're using a specialized jargon. But yep. then there's a there's a translation process to totally. to. Bring it to people in which, in a way that, that, that is not only understandable, but also inspiring. Totally. You know, so totally. I got some uh, uh, some, some uh, close friends of mine. We got some uh, practice doing that. And we, we started thinking, okay, why don't we create uh, like a little organization hmm. based on doing this, you know? Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, that's and that where became. Uh, yes, yeah, the Enlightened Worldview Project. I'm hearing, in fact, a lot about uh, this notion of Enlightenment, Enlightenment 2.0, and that's. Mm-hmm. I wanted to make that central to to the project. I'm also hearing about people talking about different worldviews. Yep. You know, and the incompatibility. You're coming from this. Your worldview is your your primary, you know, belief system and your your orientation to the world. So mm-hmm. it's your your primary ontology and epistemology and value system. A lot of these people, you know, they they, they kind of tend to be a little tribal about that. Uh-huh, so maybe uh-huh. we could use the new enlightenment. That is the, you know, as you were, if you've defined it, the, the um, and I think that maybe this is something worth talking about. I, I wasn't sure where the term enlightenment 2.0 originally came from, but I think uh-huh. that you've, you've articulated it better than anybody prior to you, uh-huh. as far as I Thank could you. tell.
0: Uh-huh. Uh-huh.
1: And that's, yeah. that's the, like, you you know, you're taking the, the concepts from the western age of enlightenment uh-huh. of like you know we're going to get away from the traditional uh you know dogmatic uh uh-huh. you know belief systems we're going to uh you know use science and reason to improve or oh. to make uh, progress right in the world and, and to a large extent that happened but then uh-huh. there is also the the postmodern critique Totally. of you know essentially what you're what it ends up being if you give it long enough this uh, age of enlightenment ideals tends to just empower some people cause all kinds of you know there's a lot of people who are you know uh, left behind totally so we want to have individual rights we want to recognize people's uh, struggles and emancipation you know we also want to recognize that uh, scientific knowledge or this, this uh, quest for logic and reason and progress can can actually lead to some people having power over others. Totally. So there's that postmodern critique. Yep. So being mindful of that, and also as you've as you've articulated it, there's the Enlightenment gap, wherein you know they never figured out the relationship between the mind and you know science, like how do you have hmm. A science what is the definition essentially of psychology and also how do we have a, a scientific way of going about social science so, so you know sociology and economics totally those have never been quite as scientific as they could be so i, I was wondering about uh, this notion of enlightenment 2.0 uh-huh. where uh you know is it, I, I i think i might have defined it pretty well uh, just now but where totally Term, where did that term actually uh, come from?
0: Um, I, if you look around, some several people have used it. Uh, in, and I, I would say that I generated it and quickly Googled it and saw that it was already around. Uh, so it popped into my head. Um, shortly after it had popped in my head, uh, early on in my relationship with Lenny Rachel Anderson and her folk ball, Bill Dung system, uh, we were co-corresponding and she had had a, a Bill Dung conference and I've developed a poster, and in the center of it is Enlightenment 2.0. Um, was the, So she had that, and I'm not sure if she had a particular lineage. Like I said, people have published on that uh, in the past, and so there's a certainly a sense uh, of a need for a new paradigmatic shift uh, amongst many people who think about John Verwecki and, and the Axial Age kind of revolution that he's calling for. So it's definitely in the air that we're in need of a new shift, a subset of people have framed it in relationship to Enlightenment 2.0. I think some of us in this unique, specific meta-modern space—and now I'm specifically referring to Lenny and I—because we actually, you know, I was like, "Oh my God!" One of our first uh, uh, synergistic moments uh, was, "Hey, you!" you I, very shortly after I had sort of said, "Hey, I think I'm involved in an Enlightenment 2.0 project." I saw her with that, and the the gestalt that she had on the board was very similar. Um, so, but I then bring a particular angle, this is a huge potential concept, the enlightenment has many, many things, um, I bring a particular angle concerned with the meaning mental health crisis, uh, with a particular aspect on the logos of our scientific, psychological, philosophical, social scientific humanities cluster, you know, uh, and then I then diagnose, I am the owner of the, or, you know, the originator of the term enlightenment gap. Uh, which folks, you know, listen to the program regularly will know. Um, It's my uh, claim that there are at least two really gigantic synthetic philosophical problems that are closely related but also separable. Uh, That's the mind matter problem, you know, consciousness and physics. I'm actually recently framing this in terms of physics and psyche, uh, and the proper relationship of physics and psyche. Um, but that, that whole dynamic relation that as modern empirical science emerged and its behavioral, third-person, empirical, quantitative perspective, um, it never really gets a place where it can reintegrate the qualitative, subjective, conscious experience. Uh, and then you have this whole issue about, well, scientific knowledge, and it affords a particular kind of view, realistic view of the universe that was novel, more sophisticated, but it was also contextualized in social knowledge and um, we see the debate sort of epistemological debate between modernity and postmodernity uh as trying to figure out well what is the epistemic value say of science relative to the social construction of knowledge in imminent historical situated power based contexts well the modern versus postmodern divide and so for me then you get the U talk comes in creates a synthetic philosophy resolves the enlightenment gap and affords a new meta-modern sensibility that allows a lot more coherence so we can place psychology and the social sciences in proper relationship to the physical natural sciences and also in proper relationship to sort of humanities, theology, wisdom orientations. Uh, And then with that coherence, uh, we can afford sort of the second half of the enlightenment project, which we can say initially got the physical sciences into the biological sciences reasonably well situated, um, but not, anywhere near to situating the psychological, social sciences, and theology, or science and spirituality relation. And voila, uh, we are now seeing uh, a new emergent worldview, uh, a new emergent understanding of science, uh, the cognitive sciences, psychology, social sciences, uh, the fact value thing is all coming online so that I think we have the outline of something that can genuinely solve that historical gap and then launch us into a totally different uh, worldview. And, and then if we cultivate that inside of sort of the you know arcane academic solution uh, that some of us work on, but really the fundamental question is well how do we take that arcane academic solution actually translate it into people so that it makes a difference in their lives and of course uh, the Enlightenment worldview project is exactly that placement uh, and why I so honor what it is that you're doing.
1: Thank you yeah yeah so and in, in, in indeed you know so it's it's bringing together, science and the humanities, and also Eastern, the the notion of, you know, the Western Enlightenment and the Eastern Enlightenment. Totally. And there are people who are working on this, you know, some decades ago in some form or another, and I'm not, I, as I guess neither one of us here are sure who came up with the term Enlightenment 2.0, but the whole framing made a lot more sense in, as w- with your uh, concept of the Enlightenment gap you know so mm-hmm. i can say that uh, you know mm-hmm. people were talking about similar things but it really started to connect mm. with that and then there is that process as you're saying of of bringing this to, to people in a way that you know they can they can understand it it inspires them to improve their life and their community and their world
0: yeah so can you ch- uh, we'll get into some other dynamics of the whole meta crisis thing but uh, maybe you say a little bit more about what you do with the enlightenment uh, worldview project and kind of where is it and uh, how has it emerged to get to where it is and then do you have future hopes for it or uh, what do you see in, in relationship yes. to that
1: Yeah yeah so well for one thing you got you've met you've uh, heard about this concept of the uh, liminal web yeah and uh, you know when it was, in fact it was uh, that term has only been around for a few months with uh, mm-hmm. Joel Lightfoot and, yes he made uh, that like,
0: term uh, now stamped it uh, into the culture.
1: There's other uh, terms, like, I guess, approximate equivalence, like the, the so-called sense-making web or the emergencia. Sure. And in fact, that was the, the term, the emergencia. I first heard about this when we were starting this Enlightened Worldview project. And uh, some people, essentially, that was what we were seasoning upon. Like, mm-hmm. these people, you know, they, they talk about uh, things that are, you know, next generation thinking that are mm-hmm. so brilliant, but how do we, how do we bring this to the people? How do we take that? How do we take things you know now i can say within the liminal web how how can we implement these ideas at the community level uh-huh. so a lot of these people uh they're looking for greater uh inner peace and tranquility in their relationships with others and among uh-huh. people within their community uh-huh. and uh there is unnecessary conflict on the inside and the outside how uh so we have uh you know there's psychological therapists such as yourself mm-hmm. such as a lot of other people within your field but we were thinking okay why aren't there sociological therapists yeah. um, Beautiful. It's a, yep. this is a role <laughs> that used to be uh played by you know pastors mm-hmm. um but then what if it was uh more secular you mm-hmm. know so it's not someone who is coming from a specific like spiritual uh perspective you know yep. And I think we think that uh, every community needs people like this. Yes, and, I love it. Uh, yeah. uh, So this would be based on a few things, you know, and we would leverage the concept of bildung, as as Lena Rachel Anderson has uh, 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 brought to the forefront with mm-hmm. uh, the uh, folk bildung 3.0, because her, her yep. research found that there were at least two iterations of this uh, bildung from from past generations. Exactly. So this is the self cultivation. Uh, you know, lifelong learning and community development all working in conjunction. Um, but there's, there's also other aspects of this that, that I figure these sort of community leaders would need to be familiar with. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, you, you, it would also involve, uh, you know, the sense-making, like helping people sort out fact from fiction in the news. Mm. Like right. what if you had community leaders who could guide people through that and the relation that that has to inner development,
0: mm.
1: you know, so you're, you're working on inner development You're because because that helps you understand, you know, what is good science? What is bad science? Mm-hmm. You, uh, we figure that people should help should be uh, encouraged or to figure to think kind of like a scientist, mm-hmm. like a journalist, you know, mm. like whereas whereas the past, it was always like, you know, trust the science. And in fact, they're still saying that. With, right. the, with the movie, people are uh, celebrating the the movie. Uh, Don't look up, but I, I yep. like the movie, you know. But it was also the the whole the message. One of the main messages was trust the science. But mm. I think that in order to trust the science, you actually need to kind of understand, you need to think like a, a scientist at that meta sense making level. Right. So you can understand, kind of discern what is reasonable, what is good science versus bad science, and it's not totally. just oh I trust this science. It's like, this one seems to be the most reasonable to me in light of these factors, you know?
0: Nope, no, uh, I really really appreciate that articulation, Uh, both in the sense that um, I do believe that science, uh, when done right, both at an epistemological and at a broad but not overly committed ontological level, meaning our shared understanding of kind of reality from say a big history kind of view, ontologically and the epistemological critique uh, mindset that science brings, super important. At the same time as somebody who's a deep critic of what's happened to my field and the way it also gets translated into policy, like, oh, cognitive behavior therapy is the therapy that's as scientifically supported. I used to believe that. And then you realize that's actually bullshit when you get into the back room uh, and understand it. It's very, very tricky. Uh, and of course, one of the things about you talk, and I think yours, if we can organize our sense-making system to afford the optimal grip regarding what we know and afford more and more people to have access to what that is, and then utilize that as an outline and then recognize the pluralism around that, we will be in much better stead uh, to make good sense-making. And it seems to me that, you know, the Enlightenment Worldview Project is very much about how we would cultivate a shift in that direction.
1: Yeah, so it's, it's basically like, how do science, scientists do their, their work? Like, we, there is that, like, more general basic sense making that they have to employ in their work and also journalists. They, they <laughs> yes, do sir. investigations within their work and, and so do, uh, you know, like, if you're on a jury you mm, you have to figure nice. out you know is this you know guilt or innocence right and this are these are sort of uh cognitive skills that people need to employ in their general in their daily lives in order Total. to have this inner peace in order to have this uh tr- tranquility with their relationships mm. so we figure that there could be community leaders who are trained in a, in a broad range of these at least to some extent in a in a broad range of these sense-making community building practices such that they could help their, their members, and their community, you know, do, do this, do better uh-huh. sense making, have greater inner peace, have greater, uh, you know, tranquility and, uh, kind of like general practitioner physicians, you know, uh-huh. how they're, they uh-huh. are a little bit sure. familiar with, uh, you know, Ears, nose, throat, uh, eyes, you know, all kinds of other, you know, knees, whatever. (laughs) They know something about that. And then they can offer referrals to experts as necessary. So what if there was some sort of a, you know, practice of these people wherein under certain circumstances, they would realize that they need to offer referrals to some expert organization within this greater liminal web? Mm. Because there's some of these, some of these organizations are doing, you know, um, circling Mm -hmm. or uh, authentic relating or other kinds of inner work you know or spirituality and Mm -hmm. uh so you're not going to have experts at every one of those fields in every community but what if we had uh general
0: practitioners Mm.
1: at at that level you know
0: totally that really resonates with me uh in the sense that in in fact i for a whole host of reasons but one of the very serious identity reasons i gave up my License as a uh, so uh, last June, I decided not to renew my license after 25 years. And part of it was my identity in regards to what I felt like was necessary for society. And that was we needed to extract the wisdom of the psychotherapy room and get it out of the professional, cloistered, informed consent behind closed doors and realize that we've extracted a lot of very important pretty generalized common sense principles that we can, if we are effective, we can tie them together and then distribute them into families, into communities, into schools. And then, you know, the image very much, I think, is what you're articulating would be, we'd have sort of point leaders um, who are able to serve as wisdom guides in, in various communities uh, and and sort of the, you know, secular pastures or whatever in relationship to uh, giving people the opportunity to gain uh, you know a reference for sense making, a reference for inner work, a reference for kind of like wow, how are we actually going to pull together around this meaning mental health crisis uh, and and collectively shift uh, rather than one hour at a time with one individual at a time which from a, uh, an efficiency and, and really diagnostic structural problem is, is just missing uh, the boat. so I really appreciate the level, layering and level of analysis that you're offering there.
1: Yeah, so uh, and there's a, this is a pretty big vision that we've got here and uh, this is kind of like, you know, we're putting this idea together as a little bit of a trial balloon, like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, uh, sure. there, there's a pretty big ramping up process to get there. So this is just <laughs> a, initially, you know, it's like, who, who is interested? Does this, does this uh, idea make sense, this grand vision? And well, you know, some of us will c- could come together and maybe have courses to train community leaders Mm. and, um, and then have, you know, the sort of directory that they can access to bring in these experts as necessary. Beautiful. So that's kind of the vision kind of in the early stages here. And, uh, so, you know, to, to some extent with this, we, we started, you know, about what three years ago with this project, We weren't aware of a lot of the things that are already out there, you know, so in entering this liminal web, and a lot of it has actually (laughs) come online with other organizations just in the last year, you know, and uh, so we don't want to step over anybody's toes. If you know, some of what I'm talking about here is already out there. We just want to fill in the gaps of what isn't there. And and some of what, you know, we were talking about, you know, three years ago is there already and some of it, some Mm -hmm. of it isn't. So as far as I can tell, there isn't anything like this out there. Right. This, this the, the, the general framework that I'm talking about. And yeah. I think it's doable, you know, I'm not exactly sure what it's gonna to take to get there, but it's something that we're, we,
0: we wanna implement. Beautiful. And uh, of course now, uh, actually maybe this is a good transition point because uh, one of the things that really sparked us is, is your work uh, on thinking about sort of the various approaches uh, because as you started to build your project, then you've been very diligent about exploring what is out there. And in that regard, it seems to me that you've developed a sort of a lay of the land, uh, maybe very much like Joe Lightfoot's, uh, you know, liminal web thing, uh, but you laid out in a Medium article uh, on the approaches to the meta-crises. Um, and one of the things that I would really like to dialogue and listen to you is sort of like, yeah, take us through kind of what your survey of that landscape is. What do you, What did you see? How do you... Uh, make sense out of that map uh, and that spacing? And what did you write about in that work?
1: Yeah, yeah. And that came from three different things, at least. One of which was the article that Jonathan Rousen wrote a few months ago Mm. about the, you know, 10 flavors of the meta crisis. Right. He wants us to take in all of the, and stew in all of the, you know, uh, interrelated problems and and crises and and recognize that there aren't simple solutions to this. So at the probably tasting the, the pickle
0: point. article right that's the yeah, tasting, the, tasting the, pickle the pickle yeah
1: so we uh you know we have this ecological crisis and we, we depend on our biosphere so that's probably the number one important thing mm-hmm. but then we have you know the political crisis keeping us that's preventing us from from actually addressing that we right. have uh education and sense making crisis preventing you know uh that's keeping people from rec- really recognizing that things are, you know, as bad as they are. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it's not like uh, there's a comet hitting the earth in just a few months. It is it is uh, a little bit like that. It might be, it might take some decades, but it's still like this is something we need to, to, to you know, take serious action on in the short term. And, you yep. know, in a sociocultural crisis where people aren't getting along with each other, especially people from different backgrounds in life, we have mm-hmm. some people who are struggling to get by while others have enormous amounts of wealth.
0: You mm-hmm. know, inequality. And so, yep.
1: how do we deal with this? How do we deal mm-hmm. with this? And so that one of them, yeah. So one one source is that that article that that uh, he wrote, with uh, Jonathan rousen wrote. Okay, and it's mm-hmm. also uh, yeah, Joe, Joe Lightfoot, uh, sign. Uh, you know, uh, having that that article about the the landscape
0: mm. of
1: the. Liminal web and all the different mm-hmm. organizations working, you know, in meta modern, integral theory, game B, etc. Adjacent spaces and how how they're interrelated. Mm-hmm. Um, another one is actually uh, some of the things that uh, you've been talking about because you have a lot of these guests on your on your program. You put out mm-hmm. a lot of articles. You've been talking about uh, one thing that kind of light bulb went off in my mind was when you were uh uh contrasting between enlightenment 2.0 and the so-called dark renaissance ah, uh-huh, you know? uh-huh, so sure. i guess that that you know i realized that uh even though so i i like uh you know the notion of enlightenment that's why mm-hmm. i uh created you know the uh this the enlightened worldview project you know sure and not to be too presumptuous you know i want to give uh you know a hearing to other ways of seeing things so i wanted to Kind of look at this i wanted to look at the teleology of these different organizations within the the liminal web and how they're similar to each other how they're different from each other yep um so i looked at that and i i i created this uh this you know spreadsheet it's uh-huh. a you know linked from uh-huh. the medium article and also that a diagram
0: so right.
1: I, I guess the way that i thought to uh first uh categorized it was based on you know spiral dynamics mm-hmm, the different mm-hmm. uh thought perspectives or value means
0: actually let me just pause you there and people will probably know this but i'll just give them some uh, framing so uh the maybe we can dialogue a little bit more going forward but just to make a reference so the dark renaissance emerged uh on alexander bard's intellectual deep web as a framing for his vision Uh, That came out out of his synthism series and then the digital libido uh, and process event, I think, is his next one that he's working on. Um, And, you know, as I'm a member of that, and I love Alexander Barr, we're good friends along those lines, and I was deeply influenced first by synthism and digital libido, but it's also the case that the tenor and tone and vision uh, that Bard has in relationship to what the intellectual deep web is about. It feels very different in some ways than the theory of knowledge society, uh, in my work with John Verveke, et cetera. Uh, and over a little bit of dialogue as I delineated that, um, we then you know s- were able to specify that The flavors that we are seeing in the future could be well characterized by uh, Enlightenment 2.0 versus Dark Renaissance. Indeed, that's the title of, I think it's episode nine or whatever on you talking when I had Bard here. Um, So anyway, that's just a little bit of the backdrop of that particular distinction. Uh, And it's interesting to hear that as you, you know, sort of internalize that distinction, then it became apparent that, yes, we should see uh, the mapping of the various approaches to the metacrisis.
1: Yeah, yeah. So after looking at, uh, you know, that was the the primary way to differentiate it because some of these people who there's a lot of agreement, you know, Mm -hmm. a lot of agreement among people who uh, that they're what we're facing these these multiple crises, and that we should do something about it. Mm -hmm. And uh, so so what is the primary hinge point of agreements or disagreements? Um, and I use spiral dynamics, you know, or something close to that. A lot, mm. of, a lot of writers have been doing uh, work in this area. Um, and that's where, you know, you have the in, sort of indigenous pro- approaches or the traditional approaches, which is, you know, kind of religious, uh, uh, comes from that. And then you have, the, you know, modern, like, oh, maybe we can use modern science. Maybe we mm-hmm. can have this, this uh, rational enlightenment. And this is something that Steven Pinker has been... sure promoting with his book enlightenment now Mm, pretty exemplifying partially partially an embrace of his work but partially Mm -hmm. you know uh, a reaction against it and uh so we can call that enlightenment 1.5 i suppose Ah. because he (laughs) he has a pretty simplistic Mm -hmm. view of it he thinks that we can have just keep doing more of what we've done already yes more of the the same you know uh values and uh, intellectual like mm-hmm. psychotechnologies that that got us that that brought humanity out of the dark ages and that uh, improved the lives of so many people especially in the you know the 19th and 20th centuries and if we totally. just implement that f- further and deeper mm-hmm. then we will overcome the challenges of our time so that so, seems to be his uh, his yep, uh, totally. thesis in his recent books yep. and but he is also disdainful of Of any kind of postmodernism or critical theory, Um, so I agree. I think it's a little bit simplistic, you know. So we can call that Enlightenment 1.5.
0: Yeah, I really like that. Um, I'll just say in my own history uh, of, you know, I when I discovered the problem of psychotherapy, 1993, 1994, um, I then backed up and said, well, what's the best framing for this, Uh, and then fell into evolutionary psychology. Uh, 1995 or so, and found Steve Pinker's uh, The Language Instinct, and he was also, he worked with some of the leaders, uh, Barco, Cosmin, Taub, Taub, uh, John Tooby, um, and, and I was a real admirer of his uh, view, and I think he's a brilliant guy, and, and, and I have an enormous amount of respect for him, but man, has my worldview changed since 1995. Uh, And so I really, I appreciate the 1.5 version. Yes, I think that's a good characterization. And and no, I do not think that the old enlightenment, just more of that uh, is the actual solution. Uh, I think he drifts into scientism. In fact, at times he's even endorsed that term. He's like, really, can't really do too much. I've never really seen too much scientism. I was like, well, go to psychology. Okay. The the parenting of the scientific method and the praying that God of methodological fundamentalism uh, to me is a crystal clear articulation that old school, straightforward, you know, modern academic notions of science are not up to the task of what's necessary uh, to guide us further. So that's, a, I completely agree with your characterization there.
1: Well, yeah. So, but if, if you look at the the landscape that I've, I've been looking, uh, 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 you know, in the diagram, we mm-hmm. could do worse than what's, steve pinker oh, God. yeah no so I'm not. in that in that regard definitely do actually, than steve <laughs> his works uh his books uh in his, that sort of a uh, perspective can offer it can be a scaffold to people who are who are at earlier versions you know because i do have here uh you know the, the so-called leviathan you're there are some people who think in terms of you know uh the uh hobbes's book you know from from the, sure. the 17th century that we just need someone to have someone all power and then sort out. He'll he'll be so powerful that he'll sort out anything, you know. And fingers crossed. <laughs> Good luck with that. <laughs> uh, you you also have. Uh, I I figure that there's some people who are you know ethnocentric, mm. doomer or Who who they, their approach is just to save themselves, that save your family, save your ethnic group. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you get you get people like that. Uh, mm-hmm. It's pretty sad. Uh, there's also some people who still believe in some court, sort of uh, religious uh, fundamentalism, and mm-hmm. this is not a. You know, when I say that there's problems, and every a lot of people agree. You know, that there's some problems with that. It's not an attack on religion, mm-hmm. but uh, the uh, the approach that Stephen Pinker is offering could offer can can be a scaffold to to people who have those sort of perspectives. But totally. then there's so many problems. when If you and I think this is a big thing that's going on in our culture war now is that mm-hmm. some people want to want to really latch on to this uh enlightenment something like enlightenment 1.5 whether they Mm -hmm. you know use that term or not sure in in their in their fights against you know uh you know then there's some other people who have more of a postmodern view because they realize that that is uh you know oppressive to a lot of people so we have to have these sort of second tier approaches just to to be uh, uh comfortable with the tension between between that between science rationality and you know the the inner world uh, perspectives, you know, and uh, Completely. The, recognizing the, the limitations of rationality. So that's why I have uh, within this map here. I have a lot of these uh, meta modern or integrative approaches that I'm uh, that I'm uh, uh, talking about here. Oh, you know, and right. So as you about... move
0: up to 1.5, uh, then yeah, just take us through the spiral. then, absolutely.
1: All right. Yeah. So. And uh, I mean, uh, uh, for within, uh, for, for before I go there, I can I probably okay. mention mm-hmm. that uh, there are some, uh, you know, postmodern approaches as right. well. Like we can say that's a revolutionary anti-capitalist or Marxism. That's mm. kind of a postmodern approach, but uh, you know, mm-hmm. no, none of those postmodern approaches ever, uh, you know, really worked. And uh, so, so we have, you know, then. The second tier approaches that are some Well,
0: I, I will say that in, inside the academy, uh, there's a, a there's a very strong uh, anti-racist DEI ethos that I think we could identify. In fact, you know, if you take it from a critical perspective, John McWhorter's you know, woke religion, or uh, I believe that's the title of his book. But anyway, but basically, there is an enormously powerful social justice movement. Uh, that we could identify you know and obviously Wilbur does with mean green meme kind of deal but in as an, I can say as an aca- academic and indeed Steve Pinker uh, in fact I he came up because there was a movement to get rid of him as a linguistic fellow uh, and I had some conversations maybe a year or so ago about that particular controversy so and he's representing you know white modernists <laughs> and enlightenment uh, and then tangled a little bit with the uh, very very strong postmodern movement at least at the institution, and so you can look at you know white fragility, and how to be an anti racist as sort of bibles so of for at least that version uh, of maybe the current uh, ethos from a postmodern green kind of perspective.
1: Yeah, you're right, and and there's probably a, several of these approaches that uh, I didn't exactly have in in you know in this version mm-hmm. of of the of the map quite yet. You know, if some of it was getting a little you know.
0: Yeah, no, you got to, you got to, you know, but (laughs) all I could say is like, if there is a real movement towards postmodernism, my experience is actually the institutional identity of the academy has basically flipped into that mode, especially if you merge sort of a post-structuralist idea with um, oppression narratives and the reversal of oppression narratives as the fundamental orienting Uh, mission, which, of course, at the basic sentiment level, I completely agree with. However, the way it's getting realized and the ideological grounding of that realization is something, of course, I'm very critical about times. But anyway, there is definitely a movement out there in that regard.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. So I want to make another version of this, uh, you know, essentially transcribing what you just said there. (laughs) So I want to make it as comprehensive as possible and intuitive to people. So when people if people look at this and they're saying, well, there's something obviously missing, you know then that's, mm-hmm. uh, that's a problem, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, so, so, but that, what you're talking about is another first gen, uh, you know, uh, first-tier first approach where people, that, you know, the, 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 the solution to the meta crisis or what they perceive to be the greatest challenges of our time is something that can be just reduced to some sort of narrative, mm-hmm. you know? So the second-tier approaches are, there are various narratives, there are various uh, different uh, value means that, that can somehow be combined in, in a creative sort of way. So we can combine the modern and the postmodern and, you know, even traditional in some sort of way. And it, we can be okay with, with the tension and, and produce, you know, something uh, integrative or modern you know. Totally. And uh, so I, I looked at that. I looked at, okay, it's all these integrative or meta modern approaches there's quite a few of them. There's quite a mm-hmm. few. And I wanted to, I, I, I saw that there seems to be some that are i would call first generation mm. approaches because the uh you know that several of these are based on the notion that they they seem to have identified the true hinge point that would allow us to make progress and heading off dystopia and working toward relative utopia mm. and um so i don't mm-hmm. want to mischaracterize any of these but it seems like you know some proponents they're they're at least uh they're aware of the, the meta crisis and they're saying, Uh this is what we need. Uh Um, and then those are first generation approaches. And then the kind of the second generation approaches are those that derive from those and recognize, you know, that, uh, you know, it, it, we need to actually bring together various approaches in a creative way. Uh And several of these integrative approaches can, can be, can be synthesized, Uh Uh you know, so I, I, I'm seeing enlightenment 2.0, uh, in essence, as a first-generation approach, because it's it it isn't detailed enough. But it's there are several other approaches that in some way derive from that. Mm. You know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so so that's what I have in the map, and and I, I identified six uh, six uh, first-generation approaches. Okay. Um, although something you said about a, a half hour ago makes me think one of them maybe shouldn't have been a first-generation approach. But I'll, mm. I'll, I'll get to that in a moment here. Okay. So alignment mm-hmm. 2.0, you mm-hmm. know. So it's it's essentially the, the idea with these is these are things that uh, you know I would agree with in some way, but they're probably not comprehensive as as an, as a full approach for that we can embrace. They're, the mm-hmm. implementation is a little vague. So enlightenment 2.0 is one mm-hmm. we've talked about that. Mm-hmm. Game B is one, mm-hmm. which uh, you know that's the leveraging of of game theory. Mm-hmm. Like you know we're all in this game of life, mm-hmm. and there's there's a lot of people who are losing at the Mm -hmm. game of life. And we want to figure out what sort of rules can we have for our society to run on such that things aren't so based on rivalry where some people are just trying to maximize their own, you know, uh, uh, resources and disregard for, you know, Mm -hmm. the uh, livelihood of others, Mm -hmm. you know. So that's what we have now with game A and game Mm B would be, you know, trying to figure out how we can all win at the game of life. I guess that's one way to frame it. One way. To but again, frame that's like not mm-hmm. that's not super detailed. So that's I'm mm-hmm. seeing that as a first generation mm-hmm. approach. Mm-hmm. Also, meta sense making. Mm-hmm. That's the, this idea that we're going to look at how do we make sense, and we've mm-hmm. talked about that, you know, mm-hmm. uh, earlier. In the, and you know, it's like how do we how do scientists think? How do journalists think? How do mm-hmm. jurors on a jury think? Mm-hmm. That's those are three different like kind of mm-hmm. roles that people play in society. Uh-huh. that i figure you know a lot of people just just in general need to think like that uh-huh. and if we can promote that better then that's that is that can be an approach to the meta crisis but it also it's it, again it's another vague one it's like uh-huh. okay so is, is, it, is that, that like really rebel, rebel so-
0: wisdom would that be rebel wisdom yeah yeah definitely
1: that. definitely uh-huh. okay. um so i also have uh um, ecology of mind and warm data as a mm-hmm. as a first generation mm-hmm. approach, because some of the things this is Nora Bateson. <laughs> sure. Mm-hmm. I, I would, uh, I would have fig, I would figure that kind of based on the notion of enlightenment 2.0 is a little bit of stage theory is a little bit baked into that. So mm. it seems like if we're gonna have what is what would Nora Bateson's warm data approach, it would probably be you know, a little bit separate from that. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. you know so because she's not into stage theory she right she, there's a little yes. blow up
0: with daniel gortz and, yeah. and, and some I, I know all the little little debates that are happening in the community
1: <laughs> yeah yeah so so uh, ecology of mind with the you know the, the notion that uh uh any categories are, are contextually based and that uh you need to understand you know uh, the holistic uh you know ecology of how things are are interconnected and then you, then you can start to, to, to make better decisions mm-hmm. in life, you know, rather than to think that you have this map because, mm-hmm. you know, that is a, admittedly the enlightenment approach of, uh, you know, uh, your work and, uh, anyone who I would consider to be a part of enlightenment 2.0 is that there's some sort of master map. You may mm-hmm. say, put in some say, okay, well, the map isn't the territory, mm-hmm. nor Nora's approach. She doesn't even like to use maps at all, because you tend to think, of reality as being, you know, sure. uh, adhering to that map. Mm-hmm. So it ends up being a little bit, as she says, BS and colonial as hell,
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? and- Yeah, <laughs> no, I, I mean, certainly uh, I would embrace the contextualization of that. One of the things I often say is, you know, like trade knowledge, it, it's a s- situated map um, that slices a particular aspect to see a good chunk of the territory, um, but you don't necessarily want to be, uh, Imagine that you've now decontextualized yourself and seen a God's eye view of the world. Uh, and if you do that, uh, you will have have definitely uh, fallen into a trap that Nora wants to warn us against. So I would certainly agree with that. Um, but as a metasystemic guy, I'm like, yeah, no, there's actually a lot of value in doing that also. Uh, it's a both-and kind of position as a proper second-tier person might think about it.
1: <laughs> yeah, and I, I definitely agree with maps. I'm creating maps myself here. I just wanted to, you know, I must, uh, you know, cr- actually, in fact, what I'm doing here is the is a map. I just wanted to give that hearing to the different totally. perspectives it's a, it's on a, it's a, as a I, part of this whole thing, due diligence. You know, not to presume that Enlightenment 2.0 is necessarily the way to get totally. to get us out of this. You know, mm-hmm. and, uh, and then we also have. Uh, um, the uh, folk bildung 3.0, and I and mm-hmm. I, I put this as a first generation approach, you know, because it, it seems to emphasize more of the community development, and uh, you know it has more of a connection to the the history of the uh, the development of 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 communities and nation building than mm-hmm. the others. And uh, oh. but now one thing you said actually about a half hour ago was that uh, Lena Rachel Anderson had actually. Uh, maybe kind of art, considered it to be situated within within enlightenment 2.0 and thus it wouldn't be as I'm seeing I guess if that was the case it wouldn't be a first generation approach but whatever. You,
0: whatever I mean you, you would have to talk with her about this and, and again yes these are mapping things in relationship to uh, I think it's a good sense-making tool relative to the taxonomic precision about where people would actually line up. Uh, we probably don't want to be overcommitted to those kinds of things. But yeah, no. I yeah, think that's yeah. good reply. It's not
1: that important of a, of a detail. I did show it to her, and she didn't uh, you know, say anything mm-hmm. about that in particular. But so, and then finally, you have the dark renaissance, as, we've, as mm. we've discussed. And this is the notion that uh, you know, the continued dominance of disembodied rationality in science uh, will not make our life uh, better. It'll further denigrate our culture. And if we're thinking in terms of problems and solutions all the time, this will likely only further tie us in knots and create more shadows, you know? Mm. So, and it's also the, you know, expectation that, uh, you know, uh, there, 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 there's likely going to be a dark period coming forward. So we, we can start to have these aesthetic movements that can then mm. create this renaissance uh-huh. in the coming years, you know? So those are the, those are the first generation approaches and, mm. um, The ones that I think have the most uh, possibility of really making big change in the world are those that somehow integrate those, Mm -hmm. you know, those are Mm -hmm. would be second generation approaches. So we Mm -hmm. can see that there is some tension across those six, Mm -hmm. or even if I were to whittle it down to five, there's still some tension there in the fundamental approaches, but those can then be integrated. So you can have approaches that integrate between enlightenment 2.0 and warm data and dark renaissance Uh Uh, so i I took a stab at looking at what are these more specific more comprehensive approaches and Uh how do they then derive from two or more of these you know uh first generation approaches in some Uh sort of way Uh Uh and uh so we have for example you know uh uh, ken Wilber and you know andrew cohen have this uh conscious evolution mm. that is uh this is a little bit something that we were kind of talking about you know in the in the email thread is like uh-huh. what is the what are the fundamental concepts of of evolution that cut across all the planes of existence you know uh-huh. and if you could if you can if you could hack that if you could understand be mindful of that then you can understand then then you can uh, uh overcome any challenges or at least this uh-huh. is the thinking I don't know it seems a little bit out there right so uh-huh. <laughs> that's why it's not super popular i mean it uh-huh. was a pretty amazing idea back uh 20 some some years ago but the details are, haven't been fleshed out yet it's a uh, uh-huh. something that makes sense within a lot of these spiritual uh-huh. communities but uh isn't quite as popular uh uh-huh. as some of these other ones that i'm going to highlight uh-huh. here uh-huh. um the uh, I also have uh, Brandon Graham Dempsey's Metamodern spirituality, hmm. which is hmm. uh, you know it involves the integration of psyches and societies through the creation of ecologies of practice hmm. and the development hmm. of the so called religion that is not a religion. So, right. and this is also you have uh, John Berke as a contributor uh, right. to this and uh, other other people, um, hmm. and uh, so this is like uh, uh, the ideas that we have you know, we, we're going to have a cl- uh, collective capacity for large scale strength, robustness, anti-fragility, health, and, and coordination. Right. In, in the words of, of Layman Pascal there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, yep. uh, sweet. I'll be yeah, going uh, to
0: a meta modern conference in May. So, you know, that will be all sorts <laughs> of fun up in Vermont. So yeah, no, I'm, yeah, I'm I might be there too. With... Hey, that'd be great, man. Love to see you there.
1: And, uh, so then we have, uh, the, uh, uh, I, I put down here, so a lot of this comes from the book that uh, Perspectiva Press uh, uh, published a few months ago. That's mm-hmm. the Dispatches from a Time Between Worlds. You can see that uh, Brent Cooper had a an approach that integrates, seems to, to, for me, it seems to integrate the concepts of Enlightenment 2.0 with Marxism, which mm-hmm. we can call, <laughs> he's calling manifesting mass metanoia, and it's based on this concept of, of post-capitalism, which is that the, we need a a personal uh collective and collective transformation within uh organizations businesses governments and institutions and uh, we need a change of mind at scale now to recognize our collective uh, uh have collective consciousness of you know uh forces of of, of oppression and stuff like that so that's that's right. an approach and yep. uh, we have here, uh, another one is Deep Code, which uh, I believe mm. was, uh, was coined by uh, Jordan Hall. It's also, uh, it, I think that uh, Bonita Ro- Roy and Forrest Landry are uh, mm-hmm. behind some aspects of this as well. So it's like, that we need an understanding of the find- foundational basis that underlines underlies our ontology, epistemology, ethics, and phenomenology, and also mm. uh, understand the generator functions for civilization. Uh-huh. So we can bring about a create a new civilization system uh, before we destroy our biosphere and everything that, that depends on it. Uh-huh. So that's the the decode.
0: <laughs> let's cut, let's crack the deep code, people.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um. Uh. So and then, also a few months ago, uh, Jamie Wheel came out with a book, uh, Recapture the Rapture. Sure. Where he's talking about meaning 3.0, and this involves uh, scientific research to create so called ethical occults i can mm-hmm. uh, carefully integrate rituals drugs sex and altered states of consciousness with the aim of realizing meaning 3.0 as you know as he's talking about there's like a, there was a meaning 1.0 which was the traditional religion mm-hmm. and meaning 2.0 is like oh i just want to you know accumulate more stuff in this world and be, mm. you know <laughs> get a big yep. house and a big car and that's my we-
0: meaning. right, so
1: right. 3.0 is something like you know and, uh, this is based on, in part on verbeke's uh, meaning crisis. So he mm-hmm. thinks, but this is where, uh, Jamie wheel thinks that we can leverage, you know, what he calls neuroanthropology, mm. and, you know, have, have, uh, ethical cults to strengthen communities and improve and optimize human performance.
0: Yes. I've been meaning to, uh, uh get that book, uh, Jamie wheels book. I've heard good things about it. I'm still in other places, uh, and, uh, Yes, that's a good reminder of that vision.
1: All right. And then so another thing is we got uh, micro-solidarity. And this is something Mm -hmm. that Joe Lightfoot is uh, heavily involved in. Involves Mm. what he calls pods, squads, crews, and gangs, which are four versions of micro-solidarity emerging within the so-called liminal web. And there are small Mm. communities of aid, small mutual aid communities for people to do all kinds of personal development in good company for social benefit. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, hmm And uh, so- uh, That's good. I
0: I'd heard some about that. I'm looking forward to learning a little bit more. Do you, Can you say a little bit more about what, do you know much about where uh, Lightfoot's project is on those microsolidaries? Like, I mean, is that a, what's the size of that community? Where is it in its development? It's mostly just a prototype idea or has he really got people um, operating in? Yeah, it's also uh,
1: Richard Bartlett is also, okay. of, of Spiral right. is behind it. I added this to the list after I talked. To, I showed this to to Joe, and he suggested, mm. you know, adding that in. And mm-hmm. uh, one thing I know is that he is working on an article. And, and by the time anybody uh, out there watches this, you might the article might be out there, you know, mm. published already. But uh, the mm. um, I, I guess I, I don't have uh, that much more on that okay. particular. Fair enough. Right I now. I don't know it's, anything uh, about it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So we got uh, another one is uh, the localization and bioregionalism or the so-called Doomer Optimism, which is an approach that advocates for localized alternatives to the global economy, particularly Mm -hmm. involving the creation of robust local food systems Mm -hmm. and democratic structures that can Mm -hmm. effectively resist authoritarianism and economic Mm -hmm. globalization. Mm -hmm. Uh, And the idea is that there is something to look forward to when Mm -hmm. certain pathological and outdated institutions in our contemporary world begin to fail and collapse. Mm -hmm. Uh, since uh, Good to have a backup plan. (laughs) (laughs) Different ways of being in the world can emerge. So, for example, you have, you know, the uh, military industrial complex, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, They're in 20 20 years in Afghanistan, billions or trillions of dollars. And then what did that do, you know, so... It gets, might get to the point where, you know, we're not going to be spending quite so much money on the mm-hmm. military, and mm-hmm. then maybe that's a good thing. Mm. No doubt. And certainly not a very good bang for your buck, you got to admit. Mm.
0: Certainly not, <laughs> not in the Afghanistan thing, that's for sure.
1: All right. And uh, Joe also suggested I add uh, this one here based on the work of, of Fritjof Capra Cop- and mm-hmm. Jeremy Lent, which is, I guess uh, we couldn't think of a ver- really, really good term for this, but since it's based in, uh, in part on Taoism uh, uh, and Chinese, uh, you mm-hmm. know, thought, mm-hmm. uh, we're calling it the yin and yang web of systems, which and it involves uh, uh, being mindful of the systemic interconnectedness of global problems, mm-hmm. energy shortages, environmental degradation, mm-hmm. climate mm-hmm. change, economic inequality, mm-hmm. violence, uh, war, mm-hmm. uh, aggravating uh, one of them will have an influence on the others. So it's very important to be mindful of the deep interconnectedness mm-hmm. of ecology and how our worldviews are formed uh, as they change, mm-hmm. and how they form and how they can be changed. And so, uh, and uh, in addition, I've uh, I talked to uh, uh, Jeremy Johnson and uh, he's a, <coughs> you know Ghibarian scholar. And, right, uh, right, right. His approach is is you know it's not the, the same thing as the, uh, Wilberian, uh conscious uh-huh. evolution. It's a, right. so, it involved, this is what we're calling mutations into the integral, a perspectival uh-huh. involves, uh, cohering a perspectival thinking, developing uh-huh. the mutational model, catalyzing the integral mutation through discontinuous leap into new modes of participatory sense making uh-huh. and worlding through cultural phenomenology. We can develop at a planetary felt sense. Hmm. All right. Great. And uh,
0: so it seems. Uh, is it fair to say when the second tier feel much more sort of translational and enacted, and you know, sort of uh, grounded in the construction of living communities, maybe, whereas the first generation a little bit more ideational. Uh, perhaps I'm not sure, but that's some of what I'm hearing in relationship. That's to that's system. correct.
1: Yeah. So 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 yeah. To clarify, um, with I'm using the, the term uh, the languaging of Spiral Dynamics where they're sure. differentiating between first tier and second mm-hmm. tier. So mm-hmm. uh, all of these the, the for for there's quite a few of these that I have as a second tier, but then there's I, I'm talking about first generation versus mm. second generation. Mm-hmm. And the first generation are ideational, mm-hmm. uh, as I'm seeing it. And uh, the, the on-the-ground implementation is a little bit vague. So that's mm-hmm. why, you know, yep. you have, in, in all of these cases, all these second generation approaches, they, I've, I'm seeing them borrow from at least two or more of the first generation mm-hmm. approaches. So mm-hmm. in, in that, we, we actually can, and I think that we can, we can actually bring together even more of these mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. uh that maybe haven't been formulated yet i just i'm just listing the ones that have been formulated that i'm aware of sure um so there's there's more uh, there's more approaches that i'm, I'm noticing you have uh, for example peer-to-peer which involves mm-hmm. people uh cooperatively pooling their resources through commons in a way that is complementary to business and government with the idea that this can create prosperity for all. One of the, uh-huh. this is uh, one of the main pr- guiding principles is uh, so-called cosmolocalism. Uh-huh. This is, uh, you know, spearheaded by Michelle Bowens. Yep. And then also just... Was on, on the recently, program
0: not too long ago.
1: Just recently, there's a, uh, uh, this notion of Web3 was created. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, this is uh, all being spearheaded by Jordan Hall as the... Uh, uh, collective name for the latest wave of innovation, uh, which is uh, touted as being more decentralized, democratic, and creative than mm. the current web ecosystems. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, whereas Web One was the start of the internet, you know, with uh, a lot of these startups and mm-hmm. and stuff, and and then uh, Web Two is where major social media companies came in and they mm-hmm. own the data. And we, right. you know, we it's more interactive, but it's also at least to you know. Uh, just a few companies having so much power. So Web3, hmm. it's uh, it's partially based on, you know, the so-called blockchain technology and decentralized autonomous organizations and stuff. And right. it, it's the idea that we can get away from the major social media companies and have more, you know, democratic control within the internet.
0: Exactly. Hmm.
1: And uh, so my personal favorite among these is the uh, Listening Society and Nordic Mm -hmm. Ideology of Hansi Freinach books. Mm. And it's not just
0: because my last name is (laughs) Norgaard. Now, is this a second tier? You, You have this classified as second tier?
1: A second, uh, like, yeah, okay.
0: second generation. The second generation. I did
1: that again. Sorry. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh, uh-huh. I, I, I don't know. Yeah. I, I should use less uh, overlapping terminology. No, so that's that's <laughs> fine. It's it's
0: clear. I just misspoke. So yeah, got
1: it. Yeah. So I, I see this uh, definitely um, within the Nordic ideology. There's a section making clear that they are deriving from Enlightenment 2.0, and they're they're also uh, deriving from Game B. You know, they, mm-hmm. they are saying we need to not have game denial but gaming game and nor game acceptance we want Mm. game change Mm. so and they're also saying that they're embracing the notion of building in this so i'm figuring they're they're partially based on folk building 3.0 and uh, bringing all this together and uh what what i really like about this approach is that recognizing that at uh at a local level you need at least these six different kinds of institutions mm. working in conjunction with each other mm-hmm. and uh so some of which we've, we've already talked about in the, in the program i found ways ways to work each of these in especially when i was talking about you know the enlightened worldview project right 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 and uh so like essentially sense making mm-hmm. and what they, they call they use the word Gemeinschaft, but that's like mm-hmm. essentially the community building mm-hmm. and uh the uh strengthening democracy Mm. uh you know emancipation Mm -hmm. and uh uh finding ways to give people meaning through better narratives Mm -hmm. and uh the uh see there there's another six just to make sure (laughs) um so yeah so so the um those those need all all work together in conjunction with each other within, Mm -hmm. within that approach. And I'm, I'm figuring, you know, for, for, for the enlightened worldview project, I want to kind of leverage that sort of map, Mm. you know, uh, I think that would make sense and it doesn't have to be exactly sliced and diced the way Mm -hmm. that they have it. Mm -hmm. But I I think they have a pretty good pattern because those, Mm. those different six types of institutions, uh, which can be, which can be uh, implemented by government or by private, uh, uh, companies or by just mm. civil society uh-huh. each uh-huh. of those uh you know they're 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 based on a pattern of of the first and second and third person uh-huh. epistemologies so that's right. why I, I was figuring you know if we if we were to try to implement this which is something i think that we can implement this uh-huh. within the united states to try to to improve the the, the culture here uh-huh. you know uh we would, we could ca- somehow categorize these different wor- organizations within the liminal web, mm. based on, uh, you know, are they similar to this type of institution as, ah. mm-hmm. as the Hansi Freyen Act has 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 uh, outlined it, you know, this or that, and just to make sure that you're you're checking all, at least all those boxes, right? Right, right. You know, right. so that you have. This gets back to what I was saying before about you know enlightened world, how you would have. Conv- uh, community uh, leaders who would, would be able to offer referrals to this or that, you know, sort of organization within the liminal web, if they were somehow categorized, and again, it wouldn't have to be exactly the same sort of categorization scheme, but I like that they have a map. I like that, Mm -hmm. that the, that the uh, Hansi Freinac books has, has essentially a master map for Mm -hmm. how to categorize these organizations Mm -hmm. for Mm -hmm. next generation thinking, you know? Right, right. Hmm. yeah
0: well that's really
1: useful and i think that about Is wraps that, it up so i missed yeah i did actually miss one but uh that's okay. the uh so-called bright future now of, mm. uh you know robert Gilman. he did a series of of uh presentations on the uh on the stoa where he's talking mm-hmm. about you know planetary consciousness and aiming for sustainability mm. and uh made possible through uh systems thinking and mindfulness of the neurochemical psychology and finding the optimal zone. Hmm. So, all
0: right, great. So, Hey, thank you. That is very valuable. Uh, and I think that the people who listen to this podcast definitely, um, you know, have a sense of some of that, but the delineation and uh, placing these kind of communities and putting them in sort of potential developmental, uh, trajectory like that. Very, very helpful. Um, so as we sort of then maybe begin to sort of wrap up and consolidate, uh, what was it like for you putting this together? Where are you now and connecting this to the Enlightenment Worldview Project? Or where what what's on the edge of this now that we sort of, if you have a sense of, one of these organizations, what do you what are you seeing uh, happening or what do you hope happen and what what's your thoughts along those lines?
1: Yeah, well, I wanted to be able to uh you know, defend this notion of enlightenment 2.0, even though mm-hmm. there are some people who who would uh, disagree with some of the, uh, you know, core framing, but that, uh, you know, for one thing, being mindful of of these points of disagreement, mm-hmm. you know, being mindful that there is, you know, uh, people who would disagree, you know, with the cons- the idea that we're using these master maps or that they disagree that we're, we're trying to find some sort of, uh, you know, problem solution framing, mm-hmm. you know, as as some of the other, uh, you know, uh, first generation integrative approaches are doing. And mm-hmm. I'm just mindful of that, you know. Sure. And so that, but also being saying that there are approaches to addressing the greatest challenges of our time that can actually have a both hand here, mm. you know. There's already a both and baked into Enlightenment 2.0, but there's a there's an even deeper both and baked uh, in if you have an approach that you know integrates between Enlightenment 2.0 and uh, warm data and dark Renaissance. So if those are all coming together, you know, uh, then then you're you're really capable of you know having something that that can can be implemented at the community level without saying that you know we have the solution. The solution uh-huh. is this. Mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm. So it's, it becomes a, these several of these second generation
0: approaches are complex, adaptive in that regard. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And adjust and blend and create uh, novel integrations and, and all that. Huh. Huh. Great. Yeah. Um, were the things that uh, I know our primary task was to sort of delineate uh, sort of the various approaches uh, and we did that very nicely. Or were the things that when, when you came on that you wanted to discuss or share in addition to that, or things that you wanted to share, uh, you know, let our audience uh, in on uh, as we kind of begin to wrap up here?
1: Yeah, yeah. I, well, I was uh, thinking that, uh, you know, there's a lot of the pieces of the puzzle that, uh, you know, come together mm-hmm. when when people, uh, you know, cooperatively, you know, co-create. Mm-hmm. And I'm willing to work with people on on that. Uh, if, if some people have, ideas that uh-huh. uh, can can be you know we can bring together uh, whether you're on board with this enlightenment 2.0 or not uh-huh. Uh-huh. and uh, there there are ways in which w- we can do that and uh-huh. you know so and other things that i'm working on with this enlightened worldview project is i saw that there were you know one thing i'm interested in is ph- phenomenology sure relationship to psychology and to uh-huh. social science uh-huh. Uh-huh. and uh-huh. there this is where i was uh, i'm reading the you know the uh the uh, integral theory books uh-huh. ken wilber and various others sure. okay. and uh there isn't enough of a connection to uh-huh. academic work and i was just i'm trying to understand this i'm trying to understand a lot of the academic work that i'm, I'm reading in phenomenology huh. And I'm trying to put to toge- put that together. I'm also trying to, you know, understand how that's related to, you know, 4E cognitive science. Sure. And mm-hmm. uh, and also the relations to all these, you know, social science books that I'm reading. Mm-hmm. And I put to- I've, I I just took a stab at, you know, uh, summarizing this with these, mm-hmm. you know, kind of charts and tables and graphs. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if it's this is work that's people have already done i've uh-huh. shown i've shown some of this to people and they said uh-huh. well that's great maybe maybe we could clean that up and you know make it you know more uh, professional so that it could be published uh-huh. in some regard uh-huh. um some of it is i'm doing it to understand it myself i'm trying uh-huh. to understand broad landscape uh-huh. and uh some of it could be uh work that that uh nobody has quite done yet okay You know, so just for example, like I can ask you, what is, what would you say is the relationship between academic phenomenology Mm for cognitive science and, uh, you know, the inner development dimensions as outlined in, in the Hansi Freinach books. Sure. um, And the, and the relationship to, to the psychology, the integrative psychology that you practice. You know. Yeah,
0: I mean, certainly in terms of, uh, there are a lot of different ways to go about that. Um, let's just, we can draw a couple of quick uh, bridges. Uh, so phenomenology definitely plays a big role in Fourier cognitive science. I mean, phenomenology, academic phenomenology, um, basically has its home predominantly in Husserl and then into Heidegger, across a particular branch of f- philosophy. Uh, there are phenomenological approaches in psychology most notably um, their personalistic and humanistic approaches that uh, embrace aspects of that, but they're not dominant. Um, so of course, when we talk about phenomenology, we're talking about the ways in which things present themselves to us uh, in our uh, lived experience uh, in general, and then the systematic analysis of that and what does it mean for what we know uh, from say a hermeneutical perspective, and, and then into an understanding of ontology or, or being in the world, being in, and then around and for itself we do sartre and other kinds of notions. So uh, there's that cluster uh, of understanding. Merleau-Ponte picks up off of Hirserelle, uh and is a very important philosopher uh, to talk about the very, very tight relationship between perception and action in the 1940s, 50s, etc. He's a French philosopher. Um, but when uh, the cognitive science revolution goes, um, It comes into cybernetics in the 1940s. And that's an embodied uh, feedback loop mechanism that's very systemic across a wide variety of different domains. Um, But what emerges in relationship to that is essentially the computational algorithmic approach in classic artificial intelligence because they start building what we now know as computers to process information and showing that as very analogous to human thinking, intelligence, problem solving. That explodes from the 1960s onward into the 1980s, uh, but then it very much is seen start to run its course precisely because artificial intelligence is not embodied in the organismic and psychic uh, and cultural worlds, as it were, and the neurological worlds as well. So it's this disembodied structure, um, and then there are a lot of difficulties bridging formal computationalism. the way a human animal mind works. Okay, Uh, So then what you get is an emerging critique of the failure of artificial intelligence to be appropriately embodied uh, and then cultivated in action. Uh, And then many of the early pioneers that would give rise to Fourier cognitive science would look over at phenomenology. Uh, And really also some old neo-behavioral traditions and place them in the organism or really agent-animal arena relation uh, and argue that we absolutely need uh, an account of cognition uh, that takes phenomenologically seriously, uh, both in terms of a feature by which people are operating in the world uh, and a necessary sort of explanatory lens uh, to contextualize it. Which of course, if you're studying things like Deep Blue and the way it solves chess problems, that's very far away from human phenomenology. Uh, so just in relationship to the just the academic um, literature for e-cognitive science has a very strong commitment uh, to take phenomenological. Uh, reflections very seriously, and they draw on Herschel some, but probably Merlo ponte the most, in relationship to the way he contextualized the tight relation, say, between perception and action uh, in a number of different works. Uh, so there is a pretty tight line there. The relationship between then, you know, well, is cognitive science psychology? What is, what's that relation? Um, I would argue that the relationship to phenomenology in psychology finds its most obvious presentation in psychotherapy, okay? So the whole role of psychotherapy, the central aspect of psychotherapy for many people is to create effective therapeutic relation uh, grounded fundamentally in both in empathy and the cultivation of trust and, and what we could use John Verveke's language in an intersubjective participatory di- live dynamic, where I get your perspective, uh, hold that perspective, and then participate in relationship to it. So me as a clinician, um, I need to be trained in the phenomenological approach. And I would really now, I'm, I'm actually really embracing the term the psyche uh, as essentially the container for one's phenomenology. Uh, and more recently, I've been seeing how Utah provides a framework uh, for the psyche from the first person perspective. In fact, the coin, uh, the iQuad coin really represents the placeholder for that. Uh, and then I can position that in the tree of knowledge, which is a external third person behavioral vantage point and be able to see the first person empirical situated historical psyche in proper relationship to the more generalizable scientific nomenthetic behavioral approach and the human mental behavioral approach that the tree of knowledge and unified theory of psychology affords. Um, So, I think that you talk situates us so that we can see, oh, here's the ideographic particular psyche from the first person empirical and here's a general nomenthetic laws of behavior placed in a big history view that's actually specified what the animal mental and culture person planes are, which is absolutely crucial, and now we can contextualize third person empirical scientific views with first person empirical ideographic views. Uh, And then ultimately use the coin as the placeholder for the specific ideographic Greg Psyche from the world, or branded Psyche. Um, And then I believe if you have that situation, then the capacity to jump into the social sciences, both in terms of a more coherent ontology of what is a human person, and from the vantage point of like, okay, we're gonna build academic systems that take seriously the human soul. It's another way of framing the psyche in this regard. And then afford us educational systems that are you know, appropriately aligned with that ontology and to do so in a way that's actually fulfilling it rather than fundamentally undermining it and saying, no, there is no first person meaning, which is certainly vulnerable from some of the original enlightenment stuff. Uh, so from a UTOC perspective, that network, um, is rich and crucial to the whole Enlightenment 2.0 project. Uh, Those are some reflections from where I'm coming from. I'd welcome any riffing off of that as you hear that.
1: Yeah, 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 definitely. Uh, So where I was going with this is that uh, there are several of these uh, people who are doing this work that is essentially the, the intellectual foundation for the practices that are out there of different ways, and there, if we had this directory, you know, that could be used by community leaders, you know, the I, I would think that the directory would be based primarily on something kind of like the aqua model, mm-hmm. and uh, so I'm seeing that, and I'm not sure if anybody has done this yet, there's so much of what Raveki has talked about, I've listened to, you know, maybe a hundred hours of his content, and it, it can be, you um, you can, you can, categorize and classify a lot of it. And also your work, work of other people, it can be classified under, within something kind of like that. So that when these uh, community leaders are, are dealing with different kinds of problems, you know, uh, again, at the like kind of sociological therapy, they would be able to draw from that as necessary. Mm-hmm. And the point of having this sort of correlation that I'm talking about is so that you can have a translation between these different systems. Mm-hmm. You know, there's, there's a lot of overlap, conceptual overlap between uh, academic phenomenology and 4e cognitive science that, uh, you know, uh, without these sort of maps that you might think that you're talking different, different, entirely different, you're talking different languages, sometimes but there's a conceptual overlap so i, totally. I was trying taking a stab at having this great uh you know to aid these uh community leaders totally and right. there's a, be a little bit of a learning curve to even get mm-hmm. there to be able to use it but yep. i think there's still there would be a process of of even uh, translating this into everyday language as well totally. you know, so that's what i'm talking about great and uh, i just wanted to throw that out there if anybody love it Wants to
0: co create well, on that. Yeah. And in fact, you know, just the parallels with you talk. I mean, the tree is science, you know, uh, tree of knowledge, uh, and the scientific third person, coined first person, ideographic, phenomenological. Uh, and then garden is social, uh, collective narrative, sense making. Uh, so you certainly have an it, I, we uh, dynamic there. It's a, it's a very, very powerful uh, pronounal perspective that's useful across a wide variety of different domains. So it's really cool that you're. Um, Looking to sync that up and then use that as a kind of directory and help people uh, serve as that guide, and that's certainly something I resonate deeply with in my own uh, theoretical architectural work.
1: And again, I'm not sure if what I'm talking about is kind of already out there. I just put this mm-hmm. together because I was trying to understand what Verveke was saying, what you were saying, what others people mm-hmm. were saying, and 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 uh, I didn't really see it quite. I mean, in, in Wilbur's work, there's a lot of uh, you know speculative. Right. Wilbur does a great job of of
0: boxing the, um, for me, Wilbur does a great job of categorizing the the pronoun epistemological perspectives, which is absolutely central uh, and a very useful frame. Uh, John and I, I think, are getting much closer on delineating the ontological uh, structure, and I don't think Wilbur gets that right. He doesn't capture uh, the problem of psychology. Uh, If you can't capture the problem of psychology, you're not going to get the ontology right. In my estimation, uh, but we, he gets a big chunk of the epistemological organization. And if we're a part of Enlightenment 2.0 is affording our opportunity to get the ontology right as well, well, then, hey, you know, we're going to be able to, and then actually weave together it, I, we, into particular we'll understand how they're different language epistemological games, but actually there's an underlying monist on, ontological ontic uh, structure. And then, boom, uh, you get that coherence and you're singing. You know, so that sounds great.
1: Yeah, so I'm just I'm just putting uh, some of these things together that uh, might be, you know, something that nobody has quite done yet. And I, I think it would only uh, go across, the, get across the finish line through a lot of cooperation with people, you know. Great. So if anybody wants to- you know, All right, well, create, we'll make sure that your um, uh,
0: contact information and people can look you up and shoot your notes uh, in relation if this is a project that they would like to potentially collaborate and dialogue with you about.
1: All right. Sounds
0: good. Thank you. Hey, man, Brandon, thanks so much for coming on uh, the program. I think what you're doing, of course, with the Enlightenment Worldview Project, obviously, uh, there's a whole lot of simpatico in relationship to that. I really appreciate the need uh, to ground stuff. And I thought that you're uh, and certainly wanted to invite you on here precisely because that map of the various approaches to the meta-crises is exactly a very useful uh, taxonomy, as it were, and description uh, of the various things that are growing and helps people get a lay of the land uh, and be more familiar with uh, what's out there and what they may want to participate in. So I really appreciate that. All right. Awesome. Thank you very much, Greg. All right. You take care Brandon. Good seeing you too.